Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, Parlor, and Instagram. And of course, be sure to visit www.mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Welcome home. Mommy! <gasps> Why don't you tell me what happened to you in Marja? I've been seeing things. Hallucinations. And it's not PTSD. I've been taking the pills. That's the thing about war. Always leave scars, and not all of them are physical. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Pekovich, and this is episode number 287. Out now in the US and releasing 11th of September in the UK is The Unfamiliar, a supernatural thriller that stars Jemima West as Izzy, a British army doctor who returns from Afghanistan only to find that a demonic presence is haunting her family. Or is it? Taking known demonic possession movie tropes and turning them inside out, The Unfamiliar is a must-watch for those horror fans who want a good dose of mystery and originality along with their scares. Joining me now on the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is the director and co-writer of The Unfamiliar, Hank Pretorius. Hank, I thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Matt. So this feels really interesting. There are a lot of different threads in the movie. Um, it deals with supernatural. It's also a film about PTSD. It's also a film about a soldier's impact of returning back to normality, back to her family. A lot of things going on here. I'm just curious, though, what was that initial first spark, that first idea that really got the ball rolling here and made you think to do this movie? I think I want to make a film that's really about a mother keeping her family safe at all costs. And she's really, really not sure what exactly is going on, uh, which is the horror mystery throughout of the film. So it's it's more of that the, the horror tropes are used as threads, to put this mythical puzzle together. Um, so I think that that idea was was the original uh, thought. It's really interesting how you had a woman in the role of the returning soldier. Usually in movies, the returning soldier is played by a male character. Uh, not the case here, of course. Um, you have a, a woman who's also a doctor, who's also a mother. Um, from what I can tell in the movie, timeline-wise, it looked like she kind of had a newborn baby not long um, before she actually departed for Afghanistan as well. Um, the decision to have a woman in the lead, as a lead character, was that something that you wanted straight away, or is that something that kind of came about organically as you were developing the script? It was originally a army British, actually a Marine um, from the U.S. Hmm. called Roger Cormack. And I, I kept writing this idea about uh, him coming back for more or suffering from PTSD because something he did uh, in, in the war in Afghanistan. And then I, th- I figured, well, it'd be more interesting to watch a British army doctor coming back from war, um, going with the intent that she wanted to be a nurturer, but, of course, the, the war made her into a soldier. And she essentially returning back from war with blood on her hands, metaphorically speaking, of course. So, so, so that was the, the, the idea to organically move it more towards a female or a mother character, yes. 
What I really like about her character of Izzy is that she's a really proactive character in that when she's confronted with what's happening with her, she uses her skills as a soldier and her intelligence as a doctor to really investigate what is happening. Um, was it always your intention to make sure that this character, when it was established, it was a woman, not to be of your typical kind of final girl, you know, screen queen kind of uh, stereotype? Well, I, I come from a house where my mother played a crucial role and she's an extremely strong person. And I think that, you know, most of my films, ironically, is about female leads. Mm. Even before it was uh, inverted commas popular to make your films about a female lead, my films always had female, strong female characters or female leads in it. And the reason for that is, like, I always looked at my mother as an inspiration of someone that could face danger by running towards it and trying to solve problems, opposed to being a... a a victim or a scream queen, as you as you rightfully said. So I, th I think that the idea was to, you know, my, my idea about gender is, is always you kind of decide what character you're going to be irrespective of your gender. Right. And I, I watch films because of the Euro's strong character and I get inspired by them. And so I was inspired by Izzy's character. And I think Jemima West, which played the lead role, uh, that's kind of what drew her to the role as well. She said to me in her initial discussions uh, about taking on the film that she really likes the fact that Izzy runs towards danger. Yeah. She kind of seems like the kind of person, and there is a little bit of um, uh, hints here and there that maybe that's something that she did do. There's some physical scars as, long as, as well as mental scars. So that is something that you kind of hint at there, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's something you know the, the whole film. Um, if if you look at a, a poetic classification, uh, I suppose of it, is is written like a haiku. It's it's not a free verse. It's not a sonnet with a lot of information. It it gives you small elements and small droplets of information that you that you have to pick up and piece the the puzzle together. And what I found is some audience members really get it. Some audience members read other stuff into it, and some audience members uh, it. It kind of passes them and they, they think this film is maybe about PTSD or maybe about the Haunted House theme or, or whatever. So what, what I try to do is even in a backstory is to just give the audience enough so that they can piece the puzzle together. And I, I really believe that as an audience member myself of horror films and other films, of course, that we are at a state now we don't need that much exposition anymore. Mm. We don't need to see her going back to war seeing what actually happened, we can piece together the puzzle um, as, as we watch the film. Well, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. While we as an audience don't see that exposition, you and Jemima, did you work on a backstory for her? Was it in the form of diaries or in the form of anything else that kind of helped Jemima get into that mindset of that character? Uh, our initial discussions definitely uh, helped. Uh, she also brought a lot to the role in terms of she she's a thinking actress. Mm. Um, so in the way she played the beats is quite reserved. She doesn't scream at all. She doesn't really get um, too scared at times. Uh, she's got quite a lot of guards up. And those those characteristics, I suppose, is, is stuff that we discussed. And then in terms of a backstory, um, it is actually in the character brief is the entire backstory as well as the wine mythology and it's, it was quite well researched, the wine mythology. And so all those things she's absolutely aware of. She knows uh, where a character went. She knows what happened. And, and so she was informed about it. But it's, it's more in the subtext that it comes across.
you mentioned before the Hawaiian mythology. That's a really interesting, unique angle that you brought to the specific subgenre of horror films. Um, it's really unique because usually when it comes to these kind of horror movie demonic possession kind of films it deals with more judeo-christian concepts of the supernatural um in the case of the whole hawaiian uh, mythology aspect of it how did that come across and was that always there from the beginning did you start off going down the usual road of kind of like the judeo-christian concepts of these these kind of um uh, territory or was it always something you wanted were you always seeking out something a little different uh to put into this film as compared to others uh, to be honest, I brought in the um, PTSD element and my co-writer brought in the wine mythology on day one. And that's how we, we were inspired to write the film. She lived in Hawaii for a bit and she read all these thick books about wine mythology. And she started discussing the Magina, um, uh, sacred rituals, the Pele, which is the wine god with me and all those things. And I, and I was so interested because it like the Magina, the faceless woman, makes a quick appearance in The Unfamiliar as well. She's actually um, uh, an Asian myth. Um, and so it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting how the Polynesian, uh, I can never pronounce that word correctly. Sorry, this is my second language. But okay. um, the, the, <laughs> uh, it's very interesting how the wine culture drew from Japanese culture and so forth where, uh, concerning the Magina and where those stories actually come from. Um, uh, that became a wine folklore. And so she told me about all these stories, and it, it kind of inspired a new take, as you said, on the, the horror genre. Um, ironically, we, we reverted back to a more Christian uh, mythology in the short film that uh, The Unfamiliar is based on. Mm. So even though we already had the script uh, with the infused the wine mythology and all those things, we reverted back with the short film, because we didn't want to give it away. We, we, we sort of wanted to keep that for uh, the feature. And then we made the short film. It was the first short film I've ever made. I've made a couple of features before um, The Unfamiliar. First short film I've ever made. And I just wanted to try the, the crew and stuff and see how it is to shoot in Britain. Because most of my films were shot in um, South Africa. So to, to answer your question, I think that the wine mythology was always there from day one. Um, I wanted to do something unique. But again, I didn't want to delve into it in a way of giving too much away or making about the wine mythology because it's, to me, about a mother trying to keep her family safe. I read that you undertook some horror 101 before embarking into making this film. The producers of the film kind of dropped a box of horror films at your door <laughs> and you kind of just went through them. Um, I'm really curious, what films from that stack of, of movies that was handed to you really had the biggest impact on you, especially in regards to creating The Unfamiliar? Well, it's, it's, it's funny because I know, you know you're Australian-based and uh, there's a film called The Babadook, of course, uh, of, yep. of course of, uh, Jennifer Kent, um, which definitely had an influence uh, on me in terms of how she approached character versus thematic and how she managed to tell a really, really compelling story through the horror genre, which I, I really appreciated. So that that film definitely. And then uh, in terms of uh, other films, I loved a film called It Follows as well. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that the rich thematic of basically, I would say, a sexual transmitted disease and how he used the transmitted disease and the thematic to make a horror film, I, I, I found really cool. And then Sinister. I, I loved Sinister in the way that he showed us just enough to be scared of and how 
he used these lighting. And uh, I think it's Derrickson, I think, that made Sinister. Scott Derrickson. Uh, Scott Derrickson, yeah, that's right. And so he used his lighting and he, he, he shot the film extremely dark. And again, with strong character narrative, good. And, and then uh, th- there's so many, you know, that like, like even uh, Stanley Kubrick, uh, The Shining, inspired me with some color choices. And you'll see like the, the film's got a 35 million... Uh, 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 Thirty-five mil grade on it, mm-hmm. which is a, a grade that's specifically for this this film um, that Andy Lee, the colorist, did for us. And so, so there were so many films, and then of course James One. I mean James One that brought cinema back into horror in, in the modern sense, I believe. But so there was quite a few films. Uh, Insidious, I suppose, to, to some level as well, although it's actually the the um, ritual we used in the unfamiliar is from a wine mythology. So I I actually watched Sinister uh, uh, um, Insidious after I wrote the first draft uh, with Jennifer um, Nicole Stang. And then we were like, oh, okay. So they used a similar device in, in, in their film as well. So so to an extent, that, that film as well, but more are The Conjuring and James Wan's other work as well. I also read that when you watched those films, it drew you to drew you towards reinvesting yourself into religion. Uh, what did you mean by that statement? <laughs> I, I, what I meant was um, I'm not religious and I'm, uh, I've, I've never been really uh, religious. And what I meant was basically it just scared me so much that I ended up praying the entire night. <laughs> right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, so quite literally drew me, like, like not, not towards uh uh, religion, religion in the broader sense, but just that night after I watched the conjuring, I couldn't stop praying. And there was a couple of moments in in the unfamiliar's pre-production where I, I also reverted back to prayer, especially when I started dreaming about the the kahuna and uh, not the kahuna, the kaimoni demon, uh, which is a wine demon. Yeah. Right, right, right. Very good. <laughs> I, was, I was very curious when I read that because I found that very interesting. <laughs> um, so I myself am a huge horror fan and. The demonic possession kind of film, um, it's a newish kind of genre in that The Exorcist really ushered it in in like the early mid-70s. But since like Paranormal Activity has been such an abundance of it. And so you kind of seen the same thing over and over. What I really appreciated about your movie is that it messes with the conventional. Um, You approach familiar territory and then you do a 180, and I really love that about that film. Having watched, having going through that horror one-on-one and watching all those films, um, I'm sure you would have seen a lot of repetition as well. Um, was it? Were you thinking in your mind, I don't want to go down the same roads traveled before, and you really want to do something different? Um, even even introspect, in, in, even disregarding the whole Hawaiian kind of aspect as well, just messing with genre tropes, was that something that you really, really relished in, in wanting to do and doing while filming your movie? I, I really, uh, it, it absolutely wanted to be original. Um, uh, that, that like, and I, but I wanted to tell an authentic story in terms of use the story world that I've created with, with Jennifer and tell the authentic story within the rules we've created, the story rules, so to speak. So even the the, the Kahuna demon, which I think you're referring to, is uh, the idea was that she or it attaches itself to the tiki totem, 
And so I used very small clues in making that link. I don't think people have really figured that out yet. But, but, but that is actually um, so. It, and and of course, because it's a demon and not a person, uh, the ritual is different. And so that's kind of that's kind of what I try to do is trying to balance the tropes and use the tropes to guide and misguide the audience, but to use horror cliches and then flip it on its head to maybe uh, maybe confuse the audience or to leave them with, a, with, an, with the idea of like they're not sure what is going on and then use stuff they haven't seen before to guide them maybe to a solution or to the next uh, obstacle and then to try and flip that on its head as well. So I try to really tell a story that goes through quite a lot of tropes and uh, I suppose and worlds but still being true to the story rules we've created and also to the to the motive idea of a mother trying to keep her family safe. Yeah. Your previous films that, that you directed were um, comedies, some um, dramatic comedies as well. When you delve into making a horror film, what differences do you find, if any, with that kind of filmmaking um, compared to what you were doing beforehand? Um. I think it's the, the timing of horror and the timing of a laugh is similar. And I think Jordan Peele said, said that as well in one of, one of his interviews. Um, and he did some incredible comedy as well as incredible horror films. And, and then I, I think all story has so many good storytelling has similarities where it's about character. Uh, it's about uh, plot. It's about how you use the thematic and the, uh, the resonance of that. And those golden threads are throughout all stories. And your intention as a filmmaker changes. Now, my intention of a comedy is, of course, to make people laugh and maybe feel good about themselves. And with a horror film, it's to scare them or leave them in suspense and to try and figure it out as they go along in this journey. Now, the, the biggest, my biggest uh, revelation by doing a horror film was that actually audience members walk out of the film scared petrified and sometimes quite upset with me whereas opposed to my previous films they walk out smiling and hugging me hmm. so that was really weird like like i i remember like after a few screenings and test screenings the audience would give it a quite a high mark for a horror film but they would walk out and they would look really irritated and and quite depressed and i i, I would take offense or not offense i would be worried and i would be like oh, oh you know what's going on here so my producer turned to me and said, but you made horror. <laughs> you want them to look like that. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah. So it, it, that was a, you know, that, that to me was quite a revelation in terms of um, what your intent is as a filmmaker. And I have to say, like, I, I, I'm holding, I'm holding to the thematic um, and I'm sticking by the thematic that to me the story is about a mother trying to keep a family safe and trying to be the best version that she could possibly be to a family. Because that, that to me is the light in the darkness of this specific horror I made. But without that light, without that thematic, it, it, it's, it's quite a, you know, being a first-time horror director, it was quite cruel for me to, to, to wanting to scare my audience or to jump scare my audience, you know. But then I, I watched uh, James, uh, um, James Wan's interviews and I was like, oh, he's Australian as well. So, yeah, I watched his interviews and I was like, uh, he's having so much fun. <laughs> so I was like, ah, okay, cool, man. maybe I should just have fun about it. You know? so, so I think those are the differences to me. Yeah. Did you also find that with horror, I mean, I, I believe that when it comes to filmmaking as a medium, horror 
really encompasses every single part of that medium that you can. I mean, from performance and direction and score, practical makeup effects and everything in between, I think you have to use everything that you can within that medium to make a really effective horror movie. Did you find that as well? Oh, absolutely. Like, I was so schooled in the process of filmmaking. You know, in in comedy, you can get away with a little less, I I, I suppose, like filmmaking knowledge because my my background is actually theatre and this is my... I think it's my 11th feature film or something, or um, I can't remember, like fourth or fifth one I've directed. I, uh, I sometimes lose count a little bit. But this is the first film that really challenged me as a filmmaker of the craft of filmmaking in terms of how does score um, create suspense, uh, how do you create a jump scare with sound design, when to leave sound out, when to add it. And people like Jim Petruck, which did the sound design and the final mix for me, and um, Walter Mio, who did the score, really, really, really delved into it with me and discovered it um, as we went along. And then another thing is lighting, like what to light and what not to light and how you struggle when you've lit the wrong thing in post. And I don't mean like, um, of course, you, you light your subject, but what do you want to see in the background? Because if you want the, you know, if you want the, uh, the film's color coding, a little darker, it means whatever you didn't light up goes dark. So th- there were so many layers of filmmaking that I've, I've discovered. And I, I think I've learned so much that I hope that it, it translates into the next film I, I make. You know, watching my, my other films now, I'm going, ooh, if I knew this about uh, filmmaking, I could add this element into mm-hmm. it and this element. So, yeah, in, in terms of uh, filmmaking as a medium, I've learned so much. Yeah. We are in times now... A lot, a lot of people use the word uncertain times, which I, it's it's kind of become cliche in its own, but it's very true. Um, it was really interesting to me about your movie is the global diversity aspect of it, of your cast and crew. Um, you yourself are um, from come from uh, South Africa, as well as, well as your producer partners. Um, your screenwriter, I believe, she's from up Canada or some uh, North America as a whole. Um, your lead actress is from France. Your, um, uh, Harry McKillen Hunt, who plays young Tommy, is Australian, like like I am. Rachel Lindsay from the UK. It, you got people from all around the world working on your one film. Um, we are work, we are living in a time right now where that type of um, there's restrictions now in people coming together in that way. Do you think, as a film industry as a whole, where previously you could tap into talent from all around the world, have them come to one location and work on the one film, do you think those days, at least for the time being, are behind us? I think it's more expensive to do that now. You know, you can't put someone... um uh, like on a on a flight and pick them up at the airport. Uh, there, there's got to be stuff in place for that. You know, we we're doing a film now um, in, in Europe somewhere, and we're flying people over there. Uh, hopefully, in the next couple of months or weeks. And there's a huge procedure, obviously, to keep people safe, and we understand that. But the budget goes up with twenty percent. Yeah. So you know, and it, it's always like the independent filmmakers. Um, I always feel sorry for the producers when something like this happens because in the end of the day, it's such a big risk to make a film. Um, and they put so much behind this in terms of finance and then it just becomes more difficult. But there's films like The Host. I don't know if you've, you've seen that where they made it over Skype um, or the Zoom calling, mm-hmm. which 
seems to really work. So that's great. And there's other, you know, filmmakers and storytellers are so innovative. And I think we'll find ways to do that in any way. But yeah, I'm very privileged to be able to do a, a reasonable budget film for, uh, for what we did it for and to have all these incredible talents of my choosing fly into the UK to shoot it with me. I mean, that was really, really lovely. One thing about horror movies is that you can almost always guarantee that a sequel could be around the corner. Uh, not to give away too much in regards to the unfamiliar, but there is certainly potential for that. Any <laughs> type of inkling as yet, any type of notes taken or a script outlined so far for a potential continuation of the story of this family? Uh, absolutely. We, we've got the... Uh, we almost already commissioned it um, in terms of writing it. Um, the outline is already done. But the thing is, I, I still want to see how the audience responds to it, if it's, uh, if it's worth uh, the effort and the finance to do so. Mm-hmm. But if it is and the audience likes the film, um, yes, absolutely. It could be a play, it could be a television series, or it could be another film. Um, I would love to make another one, yeah. But before that happens, everyone out there, please do check out The Unfamiliar. It is available now in the US. September 11 comes out in the UK. Hopefully soon, Hank, will hear about a uh, release date in Australia. Yeah, yeah, we, we're busy talking to Australia as well. Uh, so, so it'd be awesome to, to release there as well. We definitely will. Um, Harry McMillan Hunt, the young boy, is actually Australian, or his parents are Australian. And he, he grew up in Britain. Mm-hmm. And for people who want to find out some more information, you can go to theunfamiliarmovie.com. Um, has all the info there. Uh, Hank, I thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Well, congratulations uh, with the movie. Like I, I said during our questions, it's great to watch a horror movie where there's, there's a, something unique towards it. Um, such a great character-driven movie as well. Um, and so congratulations with you. Hopefully we can talk again in the future when it comes to future projects. Thank you very much, Matthew. I really appreciate it uh, and, and all the best for you as well.